Welcome to the Doyen of Death podcast, funeral planning for those who don't plan to die. It's all about end-of-life issues and getting the conversation started about our 100% mortality rate. This series is hosted by Gail Rubin, certified thanatologist and the Doyen of Death. A Doyen is a woman who's considered senior in a group and knows a lot about a particular subject. Well, that's Gail. She knows all about creating the party no one wants to plan, a funeral or memorial service. She discusses the changes death can bring, and she'll make you laugh. This series includes episodes previously released as A Good Goodbye, a treasure trove of evergreen podcasts about funeral planning issues. This podcast reveals some of the mysteries and shares advice and tools that can reduce stress at times of grief, minimize family conflict, and help create a good goodbye. Remember, just as talking about sex won't make you pregnant, talking about funerals won't make you dead, and your family will benefit from the conversation. So, here to talk about the subjects we sometimes avoid is author, speaker, and the doyen of death, Gail Rubin. Welcome. This is part two of our two-part episode. If you missed part one, do yourself a favor and go back to listen. And now back to more with the doyen of death. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Lee Whitting about near-death experiences. So, Lee, how many people are members of the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and who has these near-death experiences? Well, about uh, 5% of the population, I think, have experienced near-death um, uh, the Gallup organization did a poll. Uh, actually, I think they've done a couple of polls, and they came to the conclusion that perhaps 15 million Americans have had near-death experiences, which is phenomenal considering how few people talk about them. <laughs> but yeah. one, of the thing, one of the things that happens, and one of the great um, values of IANS, is that many people who have had a near-death experience will start, te- you know, they'll have this experience and then they'll start telling the doctor and the doctor will say, oh, you just, you, you hallucinated it uh, or you dreamed that. Um, and Ian's, as a matter of fact, we just came out with a medical film trying to explain to doctors, and it's, it's, the film was done by doctors, for doctors, about why that's such a mistake. But, uh, or they'll go to their, they'll start telling a family member, and the family member will, will think, well, this doesn't agree with my religious point of view, that, that you could die and, and, and see Jesus, for instance, which sometimes happens, uh, mm-hmm. or, um, or something that contradicts them completely. I mean, maybe they're, maybe they're Christian, but who knows, maybe someone saw Buddha, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, something that would upset the family. And the family just shuts them right down. So don't, don't, we don't want to hear about that. Or don't, you know, people will think you're crazy if you tell them that story. Well, this is, this is perhaps the most profound experience of a person's life. And if they repress it, it just, it's just such a waste. And, and they have, they're denying something that is a, a very valuable gift, a wonderful gift that they should be telling people about because, you know, the thing about a gift is you're supposed to share it with other people. And um, so I tell, you know, I, I go around the hospital asking people if, if they've had an experience and would they like to tell me about it because I want them to start getting comfortable with the idea that 
people are interested in hearing about these things and can learn from these things. Um, and, but uh, I've had calls from people and, and emails from people who may be listening to my radio show, and they'll say, I've never told anyone about this. This uh, One woman had had her near-death experience in the 1950s and had never shared it before. She said wow. she wrote the story down and put it in her safe, and it was going to be given to her kids when she died. I, and I said, what a waste this is. You, you're, you were given a gift you really should share. You should tell people about this, because they will learn something about the reality of, of the afterlife, the reality of our, of our own spiritual nature from what you experienced. And so, you know, then she was on the air. <laughs> so this is the way, you know, it's, this, the thing has to open up. And I think it is opening up now because you see TV shows about it. You know, it's becoming more uh, discussable. And so now people can, no matter what their relatives uh, say about what, what they first hear, you know, they, they have other people out there talking about their experiences. But if anyone has any um, reluctance or any curiosity about uh, near-death experience, they should get in touch with the International Association for Near-Death Studies. And it's IANDS.org. They can get, you know, get, find the website, read all kinds of stories about near-death experience, find out what's happening where there are meetings. Yeah, uh, you asked how many members we have. I think active members in the national are... Uh, might be about a thousand mm-hmm. or twelve hundred, something like that. But um, we also have all through the country. There are thirty to forty local organizations where people get together. Uh, people who mostly who've had near death experience, but also people who are just interested in hearing the stories, and they meet perhaps uh, monthly, and you know might have uh, you know in somebody's home or in a church, and it's a way of talking about. Uh, near-death experience and and how these stories can be used, how they should be used. I use them as a chaplain. I use them almost all every day because more and more I find that people are not affiliated with uh, any particular denomination or religion, but they are just, um, you know, when they come into the hospital, they will say when asked, I have no preference or I'm, I'm not religious. Um, so when they're in trouble, you know, health-wise, and suddenly they're thinking, I guess I'm not immortal, you know, I guess my body is not immortal after all, and they want some sort of reassurance about what happens when we die, uh, it's really uh, near-death experience stories are just wonderful for, for calming people and letting them know uh, that this is a universal experience. It doesn't just happen to Christians or Jews or or Buddhists or whatever. It happens universally for everyone. And one of the great things that's happening right now, Gail, if I can just say this, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. that Pope Francis, in in what he's teaching, is pretty much saying the same thing. He's not referring specifically to near-death experience, but he's saying if you if you are even even an atheist and you have a good heart, he said he's saying I'll see you on the other side. What a breakthrough this is for the for the Catholic Church. Oh yeah, absolutely. So really, it seems like our religions that we've created, or yeah, I guess humans create religion, but. 
uh, is sort of in conflict with spirituality sometimes. Well, I think what's happened is that um, the initial impulse uh, to write a gospel or a prophecy in the Old Testament or or the New um, it, it comes out of a spiritual experience like a near-death experience. As I said, St. Paul probably learned a whole lot in his journey to the third heaven. Um, these these mystical experiences then get codified, they get um, read and interpreted by people who have not had mystical experiences, like the third century church fathers who put the Bible together. They pick and choose what they want to hear and what how they want to define it, and then all of a sudden you've got something that's not a living religion it's it's um it's set in concrete and 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 you will get quibbling over i mean why do we have so many denominations in in protestant in protestantism mm-hmm. it's because mm-hmm. people have decided that if it's not a total immersion baptism it doesn't count as a baptism you know it's it's that sort of um fight between people's points of view that were never what Either God or the mystic who who wrote the original text understood it to be. You know, this 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 is uh, this is what happens to um, religions, and so they. But every religion has a tradition of mysticism. The Sufi, uh, the are the are the mystics for Islam. Um, there are many uh, Catholic saints who've had visions and prophecies. Uh, every religion has their mystics and that's where you find the unity if you if you look at the if the mystics of any faith put it all together they're saying the same thing it's just the the non-mystical side of these religions <laughs> that screw things up so badly mhm and if if i recall correctly just about all these religions say there's something beyond our physical lifetime well, yes. Uh, I think it's only uh, it's only atheists who. who well, the uh, you know in the tradition in the Jewish tradition, the, the Pharisees believed in an afterlife. The Sadducees did not. So I think even in um, even in and in I think some modern Judaism. Um, does not necessarily believe in a, in an afterlife so much as the, a person's immortality is in their children and in their children's children. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jewish people I know who've had mystical or near-death experiences have a very different view of it now. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the near-death experience stories you share when you're talking with people in the hospital? Okay. Well, uh, sometimes they're connected with... Um, of, uh, gifts or healing as well. There was one woman who who told me this story. She said, um, I never had any interest in Jesus or religion. She said, I was never raised in any particular church. And she ran into a tree. She said, I was standing outside the car looking at my crumpled car and my crumpled body in the car. She said, I turned around and there was Jesus. She said, I never had anything to do with Jesus. I had no, 
never even thought much about him. Uh, but I knew, I knew that's who it was, and he told me that it was not my time and that I had to go back into my body. So then she was back in her body. The EMTs arrive. They're prying her out of the car with the jaws of life. They say she'll never make it to the hospital. She makes it to the hospital. They're in the trauma room, and they're, and they're working on her and saying she'll never make it to the to the CAT scan. We'll never even, you know, she won't live that long. She makes it to the CAT scan. She's in intensive care. They say in intensive care she'll never walk again. I met her in rehab. Two weeks, two weeks later, she walked out of the hospital, completely healed and completely wow. in love with Jesus because for her, you know, and, and, you know, ready to change her life. So her gift was her healing. Other people have come back from near-death experiences with all kinds of skills. Uh, um, they're more, much more intuitive. They're much more uh, loving. They're convinced that love is the whole answer to to why we're here and what we're we sh- we're supposed to be doing. Um, mm-hmm. they, you know, people who were stockbrokers are suddenly becoming teachers, or or going into medicine, or going into uh, some sort of a religious thing to to share their talents with the people that that need them. Um, and so, okay. Uh, uh, um- we're going to have to go to a break here shortly. So, <laughs> okay, the the time is just flying, but we'll we'll continue talking about these near death experiences when we come back. Gail Rubin, the Doyen of Death, has been producing Before I Die festivals for years. These festivals get end of life planning conversations started by putting the fun in funeral planning. Outside-the-box activities break down barriers to discussing death and planning for our 100% mortality rate. And now, Gail has created the Before I Die Festival in a Box, the comprehensive guide to producing your own community festival. It includes everything you need to create a successful event, how to find sponsors, build a team, market the event, schedule speakers, topics for discussion, workshop ideas, and much, much more. To learn how to get your Before I Die Festival in a Box, visit BeforeIDieFestivals.com or call 505-265-7215. Welcome back. I'm talking with Lee Whitting with the International Association for Near-Death Studies about near-death experiences. So, Lee, uh, during the break, you may have heard my spot for Hollywood movies and getting the conversation started. There are a lot of... I, I actually did put a talk together that talked about Visions, Trips, and Crowded Rooms, which was a book that Dr. David Kessler wrote. He was um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross... Um, uh, uh, he worked with her and uh, put together this collection of stories by medical personnel who actually witness people either having visions, angels, or you know loved ones coming back to visit. Um, they talk about going on trips. I know when my father-in-law was hospitalized um, just before he died, he said to my mother-in-law, pack my bag. And she's like, where are you going? <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> 
and then there was uh, visions, trips, and crowded rooms. It, it, instances where people see the room just filled with all of these people. So is, is this related to near-death experiences as well, do you think? Well, it's certainly, it's certainly related to dying. I, I can tell you a couple of uh, stories along those lines. One, um, a nurse told me, I, I wasn't there for it, but she said there was this person who was dying, he was, but not uh, immediately, they didn't think. And he was very unhappy, and he was grouchy, and he gave the nurses a hard time. The nurse came into work one day, and she went in, and he was smiling, and he was happy. And she said, well, you're, you're uh, feeling much better, I guess. He said, well, yes. He said, my son came to tell me that, um, that he's coming to take me home tomorrow at 1, 1 o'clock, 1, 8, 1 p.m. And she said, but I thought your son was dead. And he said, well, he, he is. And she said, well, you're not ready to die yet. I mean, you're, 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 uh, you know, you're going to live for quite a long time. He said, I'd like it if you could come and sit with me tomorrow at 1 o'clock when he comes. She said, well, sure. So not believing a word of this, she, she was there at 1 o'clock, and suddenly his face brightened and his eyes widened, and he raised his arms up to something that she couldn't see, but she realized at that point was his, was his son, and right then and there he died. Mm. Now I'll tell you another story, which is r- really remarkable, because it, it, uh, it, there's a manifestation in it that I, I haven't heard anywhere else. There was this nurse who was very fond of a patient. The patient did not want to be resuscitated. And she made it very clear that she, if, she, if she stopped breathing, she did not want anyone doing CPR on her. But this nurse loved her so much that when, when the alarm went off that she had stopped breathing, she came running full speed down the hall with the intention of going into that room and doing CPR. Suddenly, out of nowhere, she's knocked flat on her back in the hallway. She said, there wasn't anything I tripped over. There was nothing. She said, suddenly, I was just knocked down. And she said, the amazing thing was, I couldn't get up. There was this, like, heavy weight sitting on her. Mm. And she later figured out that it was the spirit of this woman who did not want to be resuscitated and was making it very clear to her nurse her friend, that did wow. leave to keep her hands off of her. <laughs> no, do not resuscitate me. I mean <laughs> Do it. not resuscitate. Now, I'll tell you my, wow. my best personal death story and my, and my worst, if you'd like. Uh, I see, you know, I'm, I'm there for a lot of deaths. Um, in fact, I should mention also, you know, the chaplains aren't just there to, to pray. In the hospital, many times there are very... Um, difficult ethical considerations with families as to whether it's time to pull the plug on someone. Uh, what, what is it that, you know, if the patient hasn't made it clear what they want, the family is left to decide whether or not all, you know, all possible means of, of um, preserving the person's breathing and, and heartbeat and everything should go on or not go on, you know. Uh, and if the, if the patient themselves has not made it clear, then families often split over these things. They, you know, they'll get into huge fights about, you know, you're just trying to kill mom or, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing does go on. 
chaplains can be uh, enormously helpful in family meetings. And family meetings go on in hospitals, major hospitals, all the time, just concerning these very questions. Trying to look to the big picture, trying to look to the eternal nature of the soul, trying to look to what the person had might have told family members or suggested to family members about how they wanted, um, you know, what they thought about all of this. And so doctors can do some of it, nurses can do some of it, social workers can do some of it, but if you don't have that spiritual element in there as well, it um, it becomes more complicated. And uh, so chaplains have that role as well. Okay, let me get on to my story. The worst death I have ever attended was a family that was just screaming at each other. The patient was dying of cancer. He did not want to die. He fought it tooth and nail. And when he succumbed, and there was just, it was this room was full of anguish. Mm. I felt him, his soul, trying to take over my body. It was wow. like this cold, nauseating feeling. And I excused myself from the room. I said, I'm sorry, I have to leave now. And I went out into the hallway and I told him, you're not coming in here. You, you have to move on. You know, I had this whole conversation with him. And, and finally he did. He left. And, uh, but, wow. but I could feel exactly what had happened. And it was just at the moment of death. It's very, very interesting to me um, that there is this, there is this dark side you know, to death as well as, as all the, the light and brightness and new age hope that goes with uh, the telling of most near-death experience stories. All right, that was the worst. The best was I was in this room with this family. It was probably four generations. Uh, grandfather was, or great-grandfather, depending on how you look at it, was dying. He was so loved. He was so, he must have been a wonderful man. And uh, and all the whole family was there with him, and they were all saying, "Don't worry about us. We're going to be fine. You just go on. You know, um, uh, Grandma's waiting for you on the other side." They were so supportive. And when he died, it was almost like the room was filled with. I guess I have to call it an invisible golden light. It was like the love of God had just come down into that room and saturated it. It was like honey poured down. I was it was so amazing to me. I've never I've never experienced that before or since. And uh but it was just such a bless a blessed death. And uh and so that can be a way people die as well. So there's such a range uh in this business of death. Okay, those are my two stories. <laughs> Those are wonderful. Uh, um, I was actually there when my father-in-law died, and we had the whole family there. It was um, so interesting. It was it was peaceful, and of course, we didn't want to see him go. But it was amazing to me to see the difference in the body. That once the spirit left the body, and I looked at the shell of what he was, it was, it was not a, it, that wasn't him anymore. Mm-hmm. Because the essential nature of, of his essential nature had, had left. 
And uh, that was just such an interesting um, before and after to to see that yes, the that vital spirit that um, illuminates us, that animates us, um, it it does affect our bodies, and mm. our bodies are just carrying us around in them, and and. But so we are not our bodies. We we are That's something right. more than our bodies. And our brains are not our consciousness. Our consciousness is is something else. And how the two interrelate is is still a mystery. But I don't think it'll be a mystery forever. I think we will figure out how it is that our brains, which are built to help our bodies deal with this three dimensional world, interrelate with a consciousness that knows so much more and and can communicate with the almighty with that with that universal light and love in a way that um you know if we were just clearer about what our our role is on earth if we if we could just be more loving and and kinder and more generous and and care about you know the things that we should care about not about not so much about money and power and and you know how we live in and all of those things. Uh, so our, our, as our body is animated by our soul, so our brain is animated by our consciousness. It's all, it's all part of the same picture. And we have so much yet to learn about that, but it's such an interesting investigation, and I'm so glad I do what I do. <laughs> that is wonderful. And if people want to learn more about near-death experiences, they can visit iands.org. That's that right, and they can they can yes. listen to my radio show. It's archived like yours under nderadio.org. Okay. Well, Lee Whitting, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's been a fascinating conversation, and uh, I, I wish you all the best as you continue to work with people. You're doing really important work. And... Um, uh, remember, you can find a whole lot more information at my website, agoodgoodbye.com. You can download a free planning form to help get all your information pulled together. And remember, talking about sex won't make you pregnant. Talking about funerals won't make you dead. Start a conversation today. Gail Rubin, the doyen of death is the author of three award-winning books. In A Good Goodbye, Funeral Planning for Those Who Don't Plan to Die, learn how to save money, reduce family conflict, and minimize stress at a time of grief. Just as talking about sex won't make you pregnant, talking about funerals won't make you dead, and your family will benefit from the conversation. Kicking the Bucket List, 100 Downsizing and Organizing Things to Do Before You Die brings a light touch to downsizing and organizing for end-of-life issues. And Hail and Farewell Cremation Ceremonies, Templates and Tips helps you easily create meaningful memorial services with sample scripts, suggested readings, and music recommendations. These fine books by Gail Rubin, The Doyen of Death, are available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. For more information, visit agoodgoodbye.com. Thank you for joining us on the Doyen of Death podcast. You can find episodes of this podcast 
and past episodes of A Good Goodbye with Gail Rubin on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information on Gail's work, visit agoodgoodbye.com.